that was the real impetus for writing Assume Nothing. I had heard from so many victims and survivors, strangers and friends I'd known for decades, sharing with me their own stories of violence, the experiences that they had. And I thought, we have to start talking about this. There are too many people living in silence with this issue. This is Before It's Too Late. I'm your host, Christian Suzanne. Let's learn together what matters most in life. It makes me very happy to speak with Tanya Selvaratnam on the topic of intimate violence today. Tanya is a writer and an Emmy-nominated and multiple Webby-winning producer in the areas of arts and social justice. Also, she has written two important books, one of which we are talking about in this episode. It's called Assume Nothing, A Story of Intimate Violence. And in this book, Tanya shares her story of how her relationship with former New York State Attorney General Eric Schneiderman initially felt like a perfect match, but then devolved into abuse. I was deeply impressed by Tanya's courage to come forward with her experiences of intimate abuse, since way too many women suffer from it in silence. Statistics say that one in three women experience emotional, physical, and or verbal abuse mostly by an intimate partner once in their lifetime. Sadly, since the outbreak of the pandemic, cases of domestic violence have increased. The United Nations Women calls it the shadow pandemic. In that context, Tanya's book becomes ever more relevant and very helpful. In this episode, we will learn from her how we all can help others spot signs of intimate violence, which can be sometimes very hard for the person in the relationship, and how to stop and prevent it in their own lives. Tanya talks about how important it is to encourage bystanders to become upstanders. It's everyone's responsibility to stand up for the dignity and safety of everyone else and not just watch, she states. Also, we are talking about what intimate abuse has to do with the love we received in our early childhood years. You will hear from her if she, after all, still believes in love and in romantic relationships, and also what she wants her legacy to be as a person who deeply cares about social justice in our world. We are proud to have you as our guest on Before It's Too Late Today, Tanya Selvaratnam. Hello, Tanya. Welcome to Before It's Too Late. Hello, Christiane. I'm really happy and thankful to have you here today, Tanya, because there is a lot of important stuff we need to talk about. It's not easy, actually, to do you justice with all the outstanding things you do and your amazing achievements. Let me try. You are a writer and an Emmy-nominated and multiple Webby-winning producer with more than 25 years of experience in the arts and in social justice. You are the senior advisor, gender justice narratives for the Pop Culture Collaborative, the co-founder of the Federation, which is a coalition of artists, organizations, and allies committed to keeping cultural borders open and showing how art unites us. 
You have advised and produced for the artist collective For Freedoms, which catalyzes public discourse and civic engagement through the arts. But also, you are the author of numerous essays published in the New York Times, Vogue, on CNN, and many other publications. And you are the author of two important books, one of which we will be talking about more in today's conversation. It is called Assume Nothing, A Story of Intimate Violence. And in this book, Tanya, you share your story of how your relationship with former New York State Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, that initially felt like a perfect match, devolved into abuse. Please tell us more. Well, in 2016, at the Democratic National Convention, I met Eric Schneiderman, and at first it felt like a fairy tale. He was adoring, he was kind, he paid so much attention to me, and I got swept up in not just the romance, but also in the world around him. He was known as an advocate of many causes I cared about, especially women's rights, immigration rights, climate justice. And so I thought we would be a good team, and he made it seem like we would be a good team. But then, after the relationship became intimate, the darkness started to seep in. And within months, I started to feel like I was trapped in a nightmare. And when the abuse was happening, which took many forms, it was physical violence in the sexual context, it was emotional abuse, it was verbal abuse, criticizing the way I looked, the scars on my torso from surgery for cancer, the abuse I thought was specific to me because predators are especially skilled at customizing their abuse so that their victims think that they are somehow responsible. And even though I had been a lifelong champion of women's issues and I had stood up to my own father for the abuse that he inflicted on my mother when I was a child, I found myself as an adult in her 40s in an abusive relationship. What comes to mind is how could that have happened to the incredibly smart woman you are? Well, what people don't often acknowledge is that abuse takes many forms. It can be digital, emotional, physical, verbal, legal. And it also can happen to anyone. When you know the statistics that one in three or one in four women will experience some form of intimate partner violence in their lifetime, and one in 10 men will as well, you begin to grasp how, how pervasive the crisis of domestic and intimate partner violence is. But because people are ashamed to talk about it, to talk about the abuse that they experience, we don't put a face to this issue. And I believe that by more people sharing their stories, we take the shame and stigma out of it because the stigma comes from secrecy. And although I am partially humiliated by what I experienced, I also know 
that I am one of millions who have experienced intimate partner violence and that it's a collective project to chip away at it. Oh, Tanya, this is so relatable, what you're sharing here, at least to me, and I'm sure to, as you say, millions of other women. And also what you said about that it really happens across all socioeconomic levels. It has nothing to do with your IQ or your background or race or wherever you're coming from. This is really, really universal in a way. When your mm -hmm. book was published last year, and yes. I first read about it in the New York Times, I thought, wow, this woman is incredibly courageous to go public with her story. Tanya, you really are a big role model for me because you oh. wrote the book I never dared to write. So where did you take the courage from to go public with it? It could have cost you your reputation, your career, and no kidding, even your life. Well, I emerged more grateful for the community that supported me, my friends, my family, my colleagues. Thank goodness for them, because otherwise I wouldn't have gotten through getting out of the relationship and I wouldn't have gotten through coming forward. I decided to come forward with my story when I found out that I was in fact not alone, that there was at least one other woman almost a decade before me who had been in a relationship with him and had also been similarly abused physically, emotionally, verbally, etc. And I thought if there is her and me, then how many others are there? And I decided that I had to come forward to protect other women from being harmed by him. So for me, it was not so much about courage, it was about conscience. I could not have that on my conscience. I wouldn't have been able to live with myself. I wouldn't have been able to look in the mirror. And I also recognized that as I was writing the book, because the issue is so pervasive and rampant, and because we normalize violence from the time that we are born, that the book could hopefully help others spot and stop and prevent intimate partner violence in their own lives and the lives of those around them. And also it was very important for me that the book not be just about my story, but the story of so many others. And so I interviewed many people for the book. I spoke with experts and researchers, and I also worked with a domestic violence expert, Jennifer Friedman, on an appendix at the back of the book that has resources that details the different types of abuse, the effects of the abuse, and also how to get help. Mm, mm. Wow. Still, I find it courageous because even if you're talking about your conscience, which is amazing, obviously, as a value, still you have been in a dangerous situation. So I would like to really dig a little bit deeper into how you overcame your fear or if there wasn't any fear how you went really smart about it by coming forward, because you, in a way you had to protect yourself, didn't you? I was fortunate to have a friend whom I confided in connect me with a domestic violence expert, Jennifer Friedman, who then really guided me through the mm. process of getting out of the relationship and focusing on myself and my own recovery. Because at the time that... 
I was out of the relationship, I was broken in many ways. I was able to work, you know, like so many victims, I was very good at compartmentalizing. So I showed up to work, I completed my tasks, but on the inside, I was suffering. And so she really helped me with my recovery. And then when I was coming forward, that's when I think my producer brain kicked in because I was strategic about it. I was very quiet about my plans. I was very methodical about it. And I deliberated for a long time before I actually then spoke with David Remnick, the editor of The New Yorker, and shared with him my experience. And then he decided to pursue the story through a reported investigation by Jane Mayer and Ronan Farrow. So I felt like I was in very good hands, and I recognize that I am very lucky to have had that support, both on the emotional and practical level, and then on the journalistic level with The New Yorker. And so part of why I wrote the book is to give people a roadmap for how to protect oneself, and also if one chooses to come forward, and that is a very personal decision that not everyone can make, but if one chooses to come forward, how to do it. And really, more importantly, how to heal. And so that was the real impetus for writing Assume Nothing. I had heard from so many victims and survivors, strangers and friends I'd known for decades, sharing with me their own stories of violence, the experiences that they had and I thought, we have to start talking about this. There are too many people living in silence with this issue. You are setting a hugely important example here, uh, Tanya, really. And thanks for explaining how you were also strategic about it and how you got help and surrounded yourself with experts who could really protect you and guide you. And this appendix in your book, which I also read, is really an amazing roadmap. So... In a way, I thought to myself, even though your story happened before the pandemic, the fact that you published this book now in the midst of the pandemic is really a gift to each and every woman. Because even before COVID, as you said earlier, one in three women experienced physical or sexual violence or emotional violence, mostly by an intimate partner. And now, due to the pandemic, this whole thing has increased dramatically. The United Nations women call it the shadow pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I think your book comes right in time, right? Is there one thing you want to point at out of your appendix, what other women can do? You know, maybe also women who do not have access like you to journalists, another helpful network. Is there just one single advice from you here to women who are trapped in a situation like that today? What's the first step to do? Well, I actually have a list of advice that I wished I'd been given and that I wanted to give others who are being victimized, and it's in the book. So if it's okay, I'll just read that list. There's not just Please. one, one yeah. thing. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to getting out of an abusive relationship. And it's very important that people connect with an expert who will know what to do and who can customize a safety plan for them. And my advice to the individuals who are experiencing intimate partner violence is 
document what is happening, you know, include dates mm-hmm. and correlate them with supporting material like email exchanges and photos. Tell someone, ideally more than one person, whom you trust not to tell anyone else. Figure out whom you can speak with who will know what to do. Know that you are not alone and you are not crazy. It's okay to feel traumatized, but please don't feel ashamed. If your partner is not willing to acknowledge the problem and get professional help, get away. Your partner is probably not going to change. Don't worry about your abuser. Focus on yourself. You are the most important part of this equation. That's my list of advice. What an amazing, relevant, important, life-saving list, Tanya. Thanks for reading that to us. You were hinting at that before in our conversation, and I would really like to talk more with you about how you think women can prevent becoming a victim of intimate violence in the first place. Any ideas? There are many steps. One is... I think reading the appendix in my book, The Signs of Intimate Partner Violence, because as it's happening, it can be very hard to spot it because often that violence seeps in slowly and gradually and is often preceded by the fairy tale phase where everything seems incredible and so romantic and very heady. Mm. So mm. I think reading my book will hopefully help people prevent intimate partner violence. And also I wrote the book to encourage bystanders to be upstanders because often the person who's in the abusive relationship does not have the wherewithal or resources or insight to see beyond the relationship. And I believe it's everyone's responsibility to stand up for the dignity and safety of everyone else and not just watch. So if you are a friend of someone whom you think is in an abusive relationship, be an upstander for them. Those are ways to, if you can't prevent it, at least to stop it. What does domestic violence have to do with the love we received from our parents in the early childhood years? Well, I grew up in a home that was torn apart by domestic violence, the fighting between my mother and my father, and my father inflicting physical violence and emotional violence on my mother. And I can't believe what I had to watch because we were all in the same house together. And I want to encourage everyone to make peace and kindness more exciting than violence. There are so many ways to resolve conflict that don't involve violence. And I believe in transforming early education so that we have not sex education per se, because I feel that sex education, we're not taught so many things. It's so much about preventing STDs and pregnancy. But like, for example, my first book, The Big Lie, is about fertility awareness because I felt that there was a huge gap in terms of the science and the knowledge that people have about their own fertility span. And with this book, I feel that there's so much people don't understand about how we relate to each other 
in our relationships, not just in intimate relationships, but also work relationships and friend relationships and the relationships that we build in school. You know, we're ta- we're conditioned to think from a young age that if a guy teases us, he likes us. If he like punches us, he likes us. And that is a terrible conditioning that we need to unbrainwash out of people. So I think that the education needs to begin from a very young age and it needs to be about healthy relationships. That's great. So the last question I would have around your book is, can you open up to love again after this traumatic experience? Oh, absolutely. I believe that if you can feel the pain, you can feel the joy. And I recognize that I am fortunate to have had the support that I did. And I am privileged to be able to speak about my experience now because most people suffer in silence. In terms of, do I believe in love? Absolutely. I love love. I will never stop believing in love. And I feel great love for my friends and my family and colleagues who really got me through. And I believe in intimate love. I just think we have a lot of work to do to help people have healthy relationships. Since especially women's rights are a matter of your heart, what is the most pressing topic on your desk right now? There are too many to mention. We are in, I believe, a civil war of sorts. It's a civil war between feminists and patriarchs. And those on the side of feminists are not only women, and those on the side of patriarchs are not only men. Mm. And the crisis that we're facing is that we've been conditioned to accept a power over culture where few people can rise to the top and they are driven by a desire to power over other people. And that leads to hierarchies, it leads to suppression and oppression. And I want to advance a power with culture where there's enough space, where people elevate each other and they can rise together because there is enough space. So it's an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset. And it's about power sharing. And so that, to me, is top of mind. And we see it manifesting all over the place where people are really trying to roll back decades of advancements when it comes to women's rights and immigration uh, immigration reform and climate justice and LGBTQAI plus rights. There are so many attacks on trans rights, on reproductive rights, and it's all about making people feel scrambled and distracted and scared. It's a fear culture. And I want to see a society where everyone belongs. So that is top of mind for me. And how do you use culture as a power in that plan? I am fortunate to be able to combine my passion for social justice with my passion for the arts. I'm very grateful that I'm a writer and that I'm a filmmaker because I can use the medium of art to convey messages in ways that make it more accessible and also easier for people to take in, to understand, mm. to convey these messages in an artful way and also to infuse joy as much as possible into the work that I do because I am very focused not just on creating safe spaces, but on creating joy spaces. 
I love your positivity and your optimism and that forward energy instead of just always pointing out of what's going wrong because this is really the way forward then. If you could create, Tanya, an utopia for women in this world, how would it look like? <laughs> well, I don't think it's possible in this world. I, 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 we need utopias, don't we? Especially as cultural activists and artists, I think we need to create utopias. I think that we're not going to create a utopia that is widespread, because as we see around the world, uh, crises shift from place to place. At one moment, this country might be in good shape, and then the next year it's in terrible shape. I think of my own country, Sri Lanka, that had decades of civil war and has been really hit hard by not only the pandemic, by, but by financial crises and environmental crises. And I look at all around the world where uh, for every great leader who is humane, there is an autocratic leader who is inhumane. So I don't believe in a utopia, in my lifetime at least, on this earth. But what I think people can do is achieve a utopia on a local level, in their communities. And while that might seem like too inward turning, I think it's really the best way to build kind of like community by community towards a better place. That's great. Here's a question I'm asking each of my guests. What is the legacy? I'm really curious now, after all that you've shared with us. What's the legacy you want to leave behind other than money? I hope that my work lives long after I'm gone. My mission while I'm alive is to do as much as I can to contribute to making the world a better place. You know, once I'm gone, I hope that my work lives on and that it continues to help people. I love that. I think it can't get any more meaningful, Tanya. Is there anything else you want to share with us? No, just that people can visit my website, tanyaturnsup.com, or follow at Tanya Author on all social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and that they spread the word about Assume Nothing so that we can achieve this collective project of peace and kindness. Thank you so much for being my guest on Before It's Too Late today, Tanya. That has been an amazing conversation with, for sure, will be helpful for many, many listeners. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this profound conversation, and I hope you did too. For more episodes of Before It's Too Late, make sure to subscribe. If this episode spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or loved one you think might benefit from it. Thank you for listening.